0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 78 of X-Lapsed, where we reach the halfway point of our giant size books. Today we're going to be talking about Giant-Size X-Men colon Magneto number one. Now this one had a September 2020 cover date. Written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Ramon Perez. Colors, David Curiel. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Edits, Bisa white Sabolski Cover price, $4.99. And went on sale July 15th of 2020. Now, it's worth noting that the solicitation for this issue teases that our creative team is going to be Jonathan Hickman and Ben Oliver, the latter of whom is responsible for the cover of this issue, but has nothing to do with the interiors. Not sure what happened, but hey, you know, stuff does happen, especially this year. I just felt it was something that was worth noting. Uh, The rest of the solicit is nebulous and ambiguous enough that it could mean anything. So, for all I know, the story we're about to read was always the intended one. Don't know, couldn't say. Anywho, we open in the now, with Magneto taking a large Hellfire freighter way out to the Faroe Islands. Now, this is a group of islands that I swear I've heard of before, but... You know, I probably wouldn't be able to point them out on a globe if my life depended on it. According to my deep, deep wiki research, uh, the Faroe Islands are located about 200 miles northwest of Scotland. They're about halfway between Denmark and Iceland. Uh, Magneto, he's here, he deboards and he starts to chat up this particular island's caretaker. Now this island, and uh, there are a few ways I could pronounce this, uh, probably all wrong, It's either Mykines, 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 M Y K I N E S. That's the island. I'll probably say Mykines. Now this is the westernmost of the Faroe Islands, measuring it at four square miles in size, with a population as of 2018 of ten. Yeah, just ten, not ten, not ten thousand, not ten million, just ten. Uh, the highest recorded population that Meconess enjoyed was circa 1925 when it boasted 179 residents. So, uh, those are some tremendous highs, and now we're on the other end of that. Okay, so Magneto, he's talking to this fella and comes flat out and says, I want to buy this island outright. The caretaker informs him that, uh, hey, you know, you're chatting with the wrong guy. He just watches over the place. There's another dude who actually owns it. And Magneto appears to know exactly who this other dude is and asks the caretaker to do a, to deliver a message. The caretaker informs Magneto that this dude isn't known for keeping regular work hours, and so it may take a little while before hearing a response. Magneto is cool with it and says he'll wait, and so that's exactly what he does. From here we get our roll call. It's Magneto, Emma Frost, and Namor. Single-page spread of creds. How about that only one? Come back to comics, and we go back in time It's flashback land here Magneto and Emma Frost are talking on Krakoa The latter has invited the former to dinner at the White Palace Uh, Not the White Castle, unfortunately Now this is an offer that Magneto couldn't pass up Considering Emma's new on-site chef, Saucier, is wildly talented And from the looks and sounds of it, particularly surly Cantankerous even Magneto chows down on some sinfully delicious lobster Which verifies that, uh, yeah, this old saucier's got some chops Now Emma finally decides to get down to business And tells Eric that she needs a favor And you know, I'm pretty sure I've asked this before But when exactly did we go back to referring to Magneto as Eric? I remember the last time I was, you know, this invested uh, They were really pushing that Max Eisenhardt identity on us I... Don't know when it went back to Eric. Is it still Eric Lensher or... I don't know. Maybe someone out there knows. Anywho, this favor is... uh, Well, she's got a plan, but in order to make this plan happen, she's going to need an island. So we're back to Mykoness, where Magneto is still waiting there. He's hanging out among the puffins. Uh, He's cold, so he decides to move a teensy bit inland to start a fire. There really isn't all that much inland on this tiny island. Uh, he is soon joined by the caretaker, who informs him that the message has been delivered, and you know, whenever his fo- his boss feels like it, he'll give him his answer. Magneto's not all that surprised. Now, if we you know flip back just a page or two here and we recall the third name we listed on the roll call page, well, then I suppose this big reveal has already been spoiled. Now, hasn't it? I'm not sure why we're bothering with all the cagey dialogue here when we know from the roll call page that this mystery man they're talking about is going to be Namor. And so, bada-bing, bada-boom, the man himself, Namor, leaps out of the sea to greet Magneto. And they share a rather, you know, contentious, uh, you know, hey, how you doing, right? Uh, Magneto calls Namor out for keeping him waiting, to which Namor reminds our man that he is, in fact, a king, and people will wait for him. Further, Namor claims that a a visit from a mutant is a fairly meaningless thing nowadays, since being a mutant in the first place gets less and less special every day. Talk about a self-loather, eh? Magneto decides, hey, let's get down to business, and says, hey, I want this island. Namor does not seem adverse to the idea, but says he's going to need a favor as well, and he invites Magneto to go with him for a swim. And so they dive into the deep, dark sea to a place called the Molloy Deep. Now they finally reach their destination, which is a door, sort of. It's a great big round door, which Namor points out is adorned with the spiral of the old kings of Atlantis. And it looks kind of like a kraken, so uh, I'll give you three guesses as to what's behind it. Namor asks Magneto if he can open it, and duh, of course he can Unfortunately, this leads us to four pages of watching our heroes fighting, duh, a big kraken, or kraken, however you say that, a big sea creature. Uh, they even wind up eaten by the thing, and if I'm saying this right, they have to swim out its uh, other end. Now they find themselves stood before some serenas, they're basically sea hags. They do this weird, like, you know, gatekeeper gimmick where they offer Namor the choice of picking up A spiral or a stone. One, they say, will save his life. The other will end it. Namor picks up the spiral, which looks kind of like a large snail shell. Once he grabs it, the critter within jams its tentacles right down Namor's throat. It's Magneto's turn, and our man is too smart to play the game. He notes that the hags gave two options. However, right now they're standing before three pillars. And so he chooses whatever the third thing is. Turns out it's a crystal, which he shatters, which renders all the serenas save one, into bones? Skeletons? I don't know. Okay. It also saves Namor, so there's that, too. The one remaining sea hag, who now appears to be far more haggy, it's as though maybe that crystal was keeping her young? I don't know. She hands over a key to Magneto, and our men are free to go. Once topside, they get back to business, and Namor hands over the island. Magneto then unpacks the Hellfire freighter, creating quite the wacky-looking citadel, complete with a sentinel head, which looks a little bit like that entrance to the vault from a few issues of uh, X-Men ago. Our man then plants a gateway seed, and is soon joined by Emma Frost. Magneto explains that it used to belong to Namor, this island, that is, but now it belongs to her. He then asks what she intends to do with it, to which she says she will send invitations and see who shows up. The End Uh, Next episode, we're going back to the New Muse real quick With New Mutants number 11 But let's see if we can figure out anything to talk about With this giant-sized issue Um, You know, uh, one thing I'll hand it Uh, I am a sucker for world-building And this this issue did a little bit of that, literally I mean, we are expanding uh, the the sphere of influence uh, That the mutants have here to yet another island And it's going to be an island that... I suppose Emma Frost will control, or have some, some some sort of leadership role on, or she has designs on it. So it's setting it's setting some seeds here. So I guess we'll see what happens there. Uh, as for everything else, I mean, it didn't lie. Uh, last time we talked about a giant size issue was Nightcrawler, and Nightcrawler was certainly not the the focus character. Here, at least, a giant sized Magneto gives us a giant sized Magneto story. One well, not the greatest story. really seemed kind of weird to have him dealing with, uh, you know, underwater sea hags and a kraken, but hey, whatever, right? It got us to the point where we got this new island with a weird sentinel head on it. Um, but as far as you know, you know me, I, anytime we talk about a giant size issue. I bring up the fact that it's a dollar more expensive than a regular issue. So this is $5 for a story that... I don't know, maybe... <laughs> maybe isn't quite worth $5. Uh, I know that these giant-sized books are supposed to be like the artist showcases here, uh, the, or the artist spotlight. But, but they gave us a bait-and-switch here. We were supposed to have Ben Oliver, and instead we got Ramon Perez. And, um, you know, nothing against uh, Ramon Perez here, but... The art really didn't stand out to me, you know. If if we're do- doing something that's, you know, quote unquote, the artist showcase here, then I expect to have my socks knocked off, and I, I didn't. It was good. It was good art. Uh, no better than you know, nothing I- exceptional though. So I don't know what the purpose of this was, unless of course he was just a you know pinch batting for uh for Ben Oliver, which is certainly a possibility, but uh. Even so, eh, I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot to this issue. Just like the last two issues of Giant Size we looked at, we looked at Giant Size uh, Jean Grey and Emma Frost and Giant Size Nightcrawler. Now with Giant Size Magneto, these could have just been extra issues of X-Men. Um, and they could have been trimmed down so they would fit the regular page length. Uh, it's... It seems like this is just really dipping when you don't need to dip. I I mean, X-Men is, for all intents and purposes, a one-shot book now. We're not getting extended stories in there, except for the ridiculous brood one. But we're usually getting these one-and-done stories that any of these stories that we're getting in giant size could have been fit into. And it would have been fine. We wouldn't have even batted an eye at it. But here we are, paying an extra dollar for something that... You know, it really isn't feeling all that special. You know, you think about back in the day how annuals and things like giant sizes and uh, king-size specials, they were special. You know, they had this feeling where they were a little bit more than what you'd usually get. Here, um, I swear I read this issue in under 10 minutes. That's not good, you know. And and I, I do understand that that's just the way things are these days, but... Still not good. Not something that I would uh, tell anyone to run out and grab. Um, uh, If you're a Magneto Completionist or a Namor Completionist or you just want to know uh, about the islands that the X-Men will inhabit or occupy, then this one's for you. Otherwise, I think you could probably skip it. And if this Faroe Island ever comes back up again, I mean... That's what editorial footnotes are for Just say, hey, this happened in this book If you want to read it, go read it Because <laughs> you don't absolutely have to Unless you really, really want to see Magneto and Namor crawl out of a Kraken's ass You know But yeah, that was Giant Size X-Men colon Magneto number one Let's uh, dip into the mailbag here We have a Damien double take today here. We're going to talk about two books with Damien The first of which is Wolverine number two Now Damien says, well, I'm not in love with this Wolverine series. I quite like some of the characterization. The scene with the beers on the lawn worked really well. And it's beautifully drawn, but I'm not all in on the story. As you say, the deaths are meaningless and don't even add jeopardy in the current era. Yeah, there really isn't much to this, is there? I mean, I think my main takeaway from both issues of the Wolverine series so far was that I kind of dig this, uh, this Bannister guy. I think he's pretty cool, and uh, like you said, here the scene with the beers on the lawn was pretty cool. We have there was a bit at the end there where Wolverine just goes to throw his bottle, and uh, and Jeff Bannister, the man with the manicured lawn, he goes, "Dude, come on," <laughs> you know. I thought that was kind of cute. That was pretty good, but uh, and yeah, it looks great. It looks great, uh, but it just doesn't feel like anything really. Doesn't feel like anything really worth paying attention to. Uh, Damien wraps up with. I was surprised you didn't pick up on the parallel Between the sick daughter and the pale girl I suppose we'll find out next issue And no, I did not I didn't put together any sort of parallels between the two of them I wonder if that will be a revelation uh, That we'll get next issue That that could be very interesting It would also be kind of subtle Which is not something I really expect From uh, from the writer of this uh, Wolverine series I, I, I'm, I assume that we're just going to always be bashed over the head with everything So... This bit of subtlety is uh, not welcome, and it would be very interesting to see play out. Uh, Next, Damien's going to talk about my favorite issue, X-Men number 9. He says, It's ironic that you ask us about jumping off points whilst reviewing the issue where I jumped off of Dawn of X. Rereading this issue, it's actually worse than I remember. I really don't have Hickman's love of space nonsense, and this storyline centered it. I was able to cope with it in New Mutants, where characters were set a- set ahead of the space nonsense. That's also the strength of the original Brood Saga by Claremont, Cochram, and Smith. But this is too much. Totally agree. 100%. Um, in the New Mutant stories, you know, it hardly even mattered that they were in space, right? It was just a setting, like any other. And it was the characters that were given the spotlight, and uh, their, their interpersonals and all that stuff... They could have been in the desert. They could have been in space. They could have been under the sea. It doesn't matter. This, though, I hated this issue. I I try not to say hate when it comes to comics because, to be honest, it's a pretty strong emotion to harbor against a stack of paper. (laughs) But, oh, I hated this. I thought this was just too much, right? Um, If I didn't have the, you know, the comics sickness that I have where I just can't walk away... I think I'd be right there with you, and this would have been the issue that I would have said, okay, tapping out, done, can't do it. I hated this issue that much, and I can't remember any other time, like another issue of any comic series that made me actually just want to drop it cold. This one did, because it just, it it felt like, you know, a kick in the teeth. It was just like, this is time we're wasting, and and all for like a goofball, oop, brew, ate the egg. (laughs) Why? 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 We didn't need to do this for two months uh, Damien continues By the way, you said they retcon the origin of the brood Does that mean it's no longer that Claremont and Cochrane watched Alien And thought, hey, we could do that <laughs> and it's funny you mention that Because that brings me to another Usenet flashback um, I remember being kind of heartbroken When folks would point out how, how at times Claremont could be unoriginal You know uh, you think about all the stuff that he added to the X-Men, and to, to comics in general, and then someone goes through it with a comb, and it's like, well, he took this from here, this from here, this from here, and I mean, we have the Brood as the Alien ripoffs, we have the Imperial Guard as Legion stand-ins, we got the Star Jammers having some Star Wars elements, we got the Hellfire Club being the Hellfire Club, right? probably a bunch more that I'm forgetting But I I was so saddened by these revelations And I'm not even sure why Because writers borrow from each other all the time So, you know, there's that saying that there's nothing new under the sun And and, and there's very few things new under the sun, I suppose is probably a more accurate statement But I think we all draw inspiration from wherever Consciously or otherwise So I remember always... Getting a little bummed out when people would be like, well, yeah, Claremont's not that great. He got this from here and this from there. and Yeah. <laughs> but Damien continues. You asked about when we jumped off books, and most of mine have been related to real-world events. In 1989, I got my first part-time job in McDonald's, and I was 15 and wasn't expected to contribute to the household. I was, war- I was earning two pounds, I don't know, how do you say that? It would be $2.01 here, but uh, is it like two pound one, or is it? Something something pence I I don't know how to say Foreign to me money I I don't know But uh, uh, we'll keep going here Uh, He was earning 2.01 pounds an hour And comics were 50p each At that point I was buying everything I could get my hands on By both Marvel and DC It was only when I went to university in 1992 that I had to start dropping comics. In fact, I dropped back to just one ongoing, Sandman, and spent most of my comics budget on back issues, which were often considerably cheaper than new comics. Gradually, my comics collection crept back up, and I was back to reading Uncanny by issue 300. I stuck around until the the end of the Age of Apocalypse. That was a good run. Uh, 300 to uh, to the AOA. Probably what I'd consider my wheelhouse, You know, if I had to pick an era that kind of just, that brought me in and didn't let go. You know, that that was pretty much it. Um, That's kind of where I formed my love and appreciation for this franchise. And uh, probably the first time I felt like I was on solid ground with uh, the concepts and the characters, right? Uh, I came in at the tail end of the Uncanny 200s, which was a very hectic time. And a time in which it felt like there was a whole lot of spaghetti being thrown at the wall. You know, just seeing what might stick. I feel like by the time we hit 300, Lobdell, Nisi and company, they had a pretty good feel for the characters and the direction. So, it was more grounded, it was more uh, stable, you know, uh, more consistent. Whereas before that, it was like, well, let's see if this works. And no, no, it didn't. Let's try something else. It felt very, very wobbly. I actually recall being nervous about the Age of Apocalypse. Uh, I was still young to the hobby, and I didn't know much about gimmicks that didn't involve foil and holograms. So, actual gimmick storytelling was something completely foreign to me. I enjoyed the Age of Apocalypse once I realized it wasn't going to be permanent, because the thing of it was, um, for for someone who takes things quite as literally as I do, you know. Marvel, they were wise to make this era run for four months, right? Considering that, you know, previews catalogs would give you two or three months ahead. So while you're reading in issue one and you'd grab the next previews magazine or previews catalog, you saw that we were still in the Age of Apocalypse then. So you had this weird kind of, or I had this like weird kind of stomach churning there. It was like, uh oh, are we not going back? And maybe it was made perfectly clear that these were four issue minis, but I didn't know it, and uh, it made this move feel more real. So, like we were reading X Men Alpha, which kicked it off, we didn't already know that X Men Omega was in the offing. I'm sure some people did, but I didn't. So it was just like, wow, this might be this might be just the way things are for a bit, you know. So that was kind of nerve wracking. For uh, how old was I then? 14, 15. Uh, young and dumb or or one or the other, maybe both. Uh, Damien continues. I left after the age of apocalypse because the first few issues afterwards were all terrible. Yes, they were. <laughs> they were. Uh, I think I explained this uh, my sensation around this time as it being having the feeling like it was the day after Christmas. You know, everything we were looking forward to was over And everything just kind of felt flat Um, I actually wound up walking away from my first ex-hiatus Three to four months after the AOA wrap, myself So I wasn't long for the fandom after that either Uh, Damian continues I came back for Claremont's return, but only lasted two issues Yeah (laughs) Now this was rough Uh, I remember how excited everyone was for this. Um, People were prepared and proclaiming for this to be the next golden age for the X-Men before the first regrettable issue even hit the stands. Um, I remember reading on, on Usenet, you know, the old stomping grounds, that there were folks who were hoping that Claremont would come back and, you know, do the whole Patrick Duffy thing. He would Patrick Duffy out the entire previous decade, making it all a bad dream. And, well, it wasn't long before we all learned that there might be a little something to that whole you-can't-go-home-again saying. Uh, (laughs) I think people wanted Claremont to come back and play the hits for a bit, but he didn't. I I think uh, by the time Claremont came back, I was... I don't know how familiar I was with his original run. Um, He came back... What was it, like around 2000? So I probably had read... Either the first or the first Two of the Essentials volumes So that's pretty much what I knew of Claremont and then whatever Back issues I was able to find cheap uh, Leading into his departure So I didn't know Claremont then the way I do Now but I was still Expecting something far different than what we Actually wound up getting I thought we would do like a you know old home week, you know uh, the the high school reunion where it's like, okay, here are the characters. this is the original vision and let's let's get going here. let's do let's let's play some hits and then then we start doing our our tryout garage band stuff, right instead of that, we got this weirdness with like the neo who were supposed to be like a step above mutants, even though they were absolutely the same. And then there were hints that, like, Kitty Pride was one of the Neo, or she was switched in the, in the bassinet or something. We got the Twisted Sisters. It was just awful, awful stuff. And this was a huge surprise to, like, everyone, because it felt like he was almost, it was almost like he was trying to w- write the worst, most incomprehensible X-Men stories that would ever be told, right? It's like you have to try to fail that spectacularly. Speaking of which, let's go to Damien's next point. He says, I came back for Morrison, but left when I heard Chuck Austin was taking over. (sighs) Chuck Austin. Um, I've met a lot of folks who took a break when he came on the books. I actually know a few people who were permanently cured of their ex-fandom when he showed up. So he is a divisive fellow. I stuck out through the entire thing, but I totally understand why people wouldn't. And it's weird because I remember when it was announced that Austin was taking over Uncanny from Joe Casey, who had a bit of an incomprehensible run himself. I was kind of excited. I was excited for Austin to come on. Um, I'd only read a few things from him. I read uh, U.S. War Machine, which came out through the Max imprint. It was one of the Max launch books. Uh, I think it was like a 12-issue miniseries. It was like all in black and white, so it was a like a buck or a buck fifty an issue I think it was weekly But uh, I remember that And I, I thought that was okay And then also the Ultimate X-Men Annual That introduced Gambit I thought that was good too I thought that was all pretty okay But that didn't last long, did it? <laughs> uh, handing Morrison's New X-Men over to him Was like staggeringly misguided here Because they moved Austin from Uncanny Over to New X-Men Which went back to being regular X-Men And I believe... I might be mistaken, but I think they brought Claremont back for Uncanny around that time. For another go, because Extreme was over with. So yeah, felt very, very misguided. But then again, maybe Joe Quesada was still in temper tantrum mode and was trying to send a message that Morrison wasn't all that great? I don't know. Damien continues. My comics budget has always been tight, and every X-Men book I buy stops me from buying something else. I currently buy no DC books, as I got really into X of Tens and bought all 32 parts. I always feel a little bit guilty about how much I spend on comics, and I think that is one of the things that encourages me to drop books. If I spend four pounds on a comic that I only read once, when I already own thousands that I would happily reread, can I really justify that expense? And that's something I I don't worry about because I'm a dirty addict. (laughs) I buy books that I know I'll never actually get around to reading. Uh, just so I keep my runs intact It's not It's a really bad place to be As a, as a fan of any sort of hobby And a collector of any sort of media Because it, you're a slave to it And I am absolutely A, a prisoner to This addiction You know This collection It's um, definitely not a bit, good place to be Not a good place to be uh, Right now I've dropped I've dropped a bunch of DC books But I still collect far too many especially since I haven't actually read a new DC comic in like a year maybe more I mean at that point buying just one DC book would be too many right but it's like I got these runs I've got uh I've got so many titles that I've got collected since like the day I was born so it's hard for me to pull you know pull the trigger and stop buying action comics you know I've got like a 600-issue run, uh, you know, a straight through of Action Comics. And it's, I hate what's going on there now, but at the same time, it's like, ah, do I really just invalidate the rest of my, like, make my co- collection less complete just because I'm not enjoying this? I think uh, what we in the biz would call uh, part of the problem is what I am. <laughs> I'm definitely part of the problem. A big part of it. Uh, Damien continues. I'd like to thank you for describing me as mentally balanced Would you be willing to repeat that in a court of law? Yes, I would sign anything you need me to sign I absolutely would I am, after all, a psych grad student So my word carries Probably a little bit less than anybody in off the street So whatever whatever I can do, I'll do Uh, Damien continues Seriously, it's nice to hear how much you appreciate the feedback. I just wish I could be as, as consistent as you. I still struggle to produce one podcast a month. I'm in awe of your work ethic. And thank you. That means, that means a lot. That really does. And the feedback is fantastic. Um, it's definitely provided some of the funnest times I've spent in, you know, it's been almost five years that I've been creating content every day. Uh, January 30th of 2016. So we're just shy. Um, we're under two months away from the five-year anniversary of of me putting out content. And uh, the feedback I get on this show is some of the greatest uh, stuff. It's really, really good. It really helps to keep me motivated. And it's... Uh, I, I can't explain it. It's just... It's such a good feeling. It's really, really good feeling. And consistency... I mean, I just mentioned that I'm addicted to collecting stuff that I'm probably never going to read, that's just going to take up space. Consistency is a little bit easier when you have such an addictive personality. So it's probably not the best thing in the world, at least not for me. Uh, Because, you know, they say the best stuff, uh, the best stuff creatively, the best stuff just in life is intrinsic, right? Whereas there is... An intrinsic element to what I do Um It's a little less intrinsic and more obsessive If that makes any sense You know, it's, uh It's funny, uh, Reggie and I Would talk a lot about the collector's mindset You know, that was something That we talked about A lot off the air Something that just fascinated both of us Because, uh that's just something that we all have in common, right? At, at varying levels, of course, but we all have that in common—that we do collect things, we like having things to keep and to look at and to read and to share and to show people. It's a—I uh, think that's something we all have in common. So we would talk about that a lot. We would try to like break it down to like what what inspires us to do it, and I, I don't know that there's actually any sort of Answer to that, because I think we all do it For different reasons, of course there's overlap But it's like a spirograph Version of a Venn diagram, right So you have all these circles that are Like overlapping in weird places Over and over again So it's a lot of different things that fuel The collector's mindset And uh, While we talked about this um, I became his first Case study, probably Because, you know, I got it bad, right? (laughs) I have it really bad Reggie was able to, um, for pragmatic reasons and for space reasons He was able to winnow down his collection to just the things that he cared most about I can't do that sort of thing I don't have that kind of willpower and control To where I know that there are long boxes in the other room that I'll never open again You know, and uh, I still can't get rid of them He was able to do that kind of thing So I became the first case study to just try to get to the bottom of this. And we talked a lot about collecting and the need to have things and the need to keep up with things, right? Like physical things. From there, I broke off to discuss collecting things like uh, content. Self-made content, right? Uh, At least to me, it seems just as, if not a bit more collectible than whatever your chosen hobby or passion might be. Right now... If you were to go over to xlaps.chrisoninfinitearth.com, you'd see the you know the official subdomain for this show. You'll see that I utilize the blogger flip card format. Okay, now the flip card format is basically just that. It's just a bunch of little panels, really. Because as sad as this might sound, it gives me the opportunity to view everything that we've done with this show at a glance. To me, looking at the screen with all these little tiles on it, because each tile represents a program, it's like a great big collection right there in front of me. Something that we created, and it's we keep adding to it, and it keeps growing. I and it feels like something that we are collecting. You know, it could be wildly collectible, self-made content. Uh, if if you're the kind of person like me who's Kind of whacked out and stuck on completionism and, uh, you know, just a, a big old weirdo. But rest assured, the shows will keep coming, because I, I can't let go. So <laughs> we're all good there. Now, that'll do it for today. If anybody would like to get a hold of me, you could do so a couple different ways. You can reach me at Ace Comics on the Twitter machine, or via Weird Comics history at gmail.com you could check out blog posts and show notes at earth.com, and as mentioned you can see the wicked cool flip cards at uh, xlapsd.chrisoninfiniterus.com you can see the wonderful collection that we've put together there uh, you could chat us up about whatever you want at 90s X-Men on facebook and you could check out the entire chris and reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com and that includes He and I talking about collecting, and him actually having his own program where he talked about collecting with a bunch of other people. So if that's your thing, that's definitely where you can find it. But uh, I think that's where we will put a pin in it today. Uh, Not so giant size episode for a giant size issue, but uh, we do what we can. Uh, One more giant thank you to everyone for sharing your time with me today. And as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.